Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Dynamic's Ryan Hummel and Mindy McGrath to talk about what's trending now. Mindy, what headlines have you been following lately? The FDA has been very active lately with two approvals that happened in the past month. One focused on Alzheimer's and the drug Lakembi and the approval of Opil, which is the first non-prescription over-the-counter birth control pill in the United States. I've been following those two pretty closely because I think they're pretty big headline news, especially when you think about the news about Lakembi, which is this medication that can slow the cognitive decline in early stages of Alzheimer's. And while it can't repair, reverse, or fully stop the cognitive damage, the data that is supporting this approval from a very large clinical trial suggests that this drug, which is an IV infusion therapy, may slow the decline by anywhere between five months to about 18 months for people with mild symptoms. So that's pretty big news given the fact that there's been such a dearth in this area around medications that are coming to the market to address Alzheimer's. When I think about what this medication represents to those patients and families that have been looking for something, while it's only going to be effective for those that are in the beginning phases of Alzheimer's, you know, the hope is that it starts to open the door to future types of therapies focused on this therapeutic area. Yeah, I mean, there's some debate around this Alzheimer drug, just like the last one we've talked about, Aduhelm. Some say that the evidence may be a little less clear on whether or not the drug's ability to slow decline makes a notable difference. And there's a lot of articles that state, you know, may not even be cognitively noticeable by patients or their family members. We talked offline around the extensive clinical trial that went through with this, and that's why the FDA felt comfortable approving it. And the drug comes with a black box warning, and and this is the FDA's strongest warning that it may cause life-threatening events or side effects. And when we think about the black box warning, it's exactly what it sounds like. Promotional materials and any inserts or guides, there's going to be an actual black box around the text that shows the adverse reactions. What I think is really interesting and for non-healthcare folks, probably a bit surprising or sticker shock is Medicare will cover, I believe, 80% of the over $26,000 cost of Legembi. You think, wow, that's that's great coverage. And you know, it, it is, relatively speaking, but Patients are still likely to pay thousands in co-payments. I don't believe it's a one-and-done drug. The treatment is intravenously infused, and it's an antibody. And it's an interesting new wave of this type of medicine. So we're hopeful that this is one of these pioneering drugs that we'll look back on to say this is where we started to help combat this really terrible disease. I do think this is a hopeful moment for the industry when it comes to treating dementia and Alzheimer's. There's a bit of clouding perhaps from the Aduhelm controversy of which one of the developing partners, Biogen, was a major player. And I think that led to some of the uncertainty here, right, with the FDA approval and really them feeling like they needed to be so confident in having really clear, maybe much clearer support 
for Lakembi, but there is still that question you raised, Ryan, around the the risks versus the benefits here. I think another really large concern here is just the infrastructure we have in place when it comes to treating Alzheimer's and dementia in America. I was listening to some commentary from Stat around how our system is really different from others in terms of maybe not having that network of memory centers, not having the appropriate geriatric practitioners who who know and have specialty in Alzheimer's and are prescribers seeing these patients really ready for these types of therapies to be on market and are caretakers ready for therapies like this to be on market? There is a burden being asked in terms of these patients going in every two weeks for IV therapy. And what does that require of their caretakers who are already so involved and invested in the care around managing this disease? So I would say overall, when it comes to Lakembi's approval, my mood is cautious or maybe tempered optimism, right? When it comes to what this can really do in the Alzheimer's space. One area I will say my optimism is a little less tempered in and swings more to just pure excitement was the news about the second approval that Mindy mentioned, the -the over-the-counter formulation of the oral contraception O-pill. I think that each of these monumental announcements we're talking about could probably get its own podcast. The history of the birth control pill in American history is well-known. It's been around for half a century. The O-pill is manufactured by a company called the Perigo Company out of Dublin, and they expect this pill to be out in stores as early as early 2024. It's a progestin-based pill approved for prescription, like I said, over 50 years ago. Just in May of this year, there was a panel of 17 independent scientific advisors to the FDA that voted unanimously that the benefits of making a birth control pill available over the counter far outweigh any risk. And you think about a lot of the discussion around reproductive rights that we've talked about, you can chalk this up to a really progressive announcement that will absolutely increase access for reproductive rights for the folks living in the U.S., when you look at the number of countries and it's a hundred and counting right now that have over-the-counter birth control available, one would expect that the approval of this and the availability of this would be widely accepted. I was listening to some of the commentary on this and some of the experts agree that having availability of an over-the-counter product will most benefit young women, teens, and many others who face some of those access barriers and obtaining prescriptions to begin with. The piece that's still missing here is how affordable will it be? Because if you don't have affordability along with access, it's still going to be a barrier and a challenge for those patients to obtain as part of the availability. So while we don't know what the OTC cost is yet, um, I think we're still waiting to see what the announcement will be on it. And I think it's also really unclear whether insurance is going to offer any coverage related to this. So the other thing that stands out to me has been, I would say just the, the 
lesser amount of energy that we've seen from anti-abortion groups when it came to this approval. I was expecting to see more, but very few of these groups have actually criticized the FDA of the O-pills. So perhaps that is one less barrier that patients need to contend with as well. If you think about it, the OTC availability of this pill comes very soon after the anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling of Dobbs. And if you look deeply into some of the executive orders, President Biden has signed executive orders aimed at expanding free access to contraception prior to this news. So it will be very interesting to see how that news and those executive orders play into an over-the-counter pill in the future. Yeah, it's not so easy sometimes to offer free when you don't have the congressional support, right, in the form of a bill or legislation that actually earmarks funding and financing for it. So still some things to to see and keep our eye on as OPIL starts to make its way into the over-the-counter market. I'm hopeful about having this even as an option in terms of increasing the autonomy that many individuals here have lost or have felt they lost when it comes to their reproductive rights. And I do think that successful pricing in the OTC market will hopefully require a lower cost that enables access widespread. But to your point, looking at what is that price point, what is the coverage by insurance plans will play a big role in terms of the overall impact that this being offered over the counter is able to have in terms of providing access to contraception and most importantly, providing affordable access to contraception. Pricing is a big piece of yet another package of bills making its way through the House. Mindy, can you tell me a little bit more about what we're seeing when it comes to PBM reform packages? Earlier this year, we discussed the PBM Transparency Act of 2023. And more recently, we are now seeing additional price transparency, PBM reform packages filter their way through Congress so that House Committee on Education and the Workforce passed a package that has four bills that are addressing price transparency. So in the first bill, the Transparency and Billing Act, it is really actually focused on hospitals and requiring hospitals to deploy accurate billing practices to ensure that health plans are paying the correct amount for billed services. The second of these four bills is the Transparency and Coverage Act, which essentially codifies a federal rule that provides consumers access to pricing data on things like medical services and prescription drugs, including this idea of bringing to light some of these pharmacy benefit management business practices that we've talked about before that have some opacity to them. The third bill is the Health Data Act, which really focuses on preventing health plan fiduciaries from being restricted in their contracts from access to cost or quality information about their plans. And lastly, the Hidden Fee Disclosure Act, requires PBMs and other third-party groups to disclose compensation to both plan sponsors, so those are the payers and the employers that they partner with, and other types of fiduciaries. This was already passed by the House Committee, and now it will require a House vote before moving to the Senate. You know, I would just note that there are similar bills that 
are meandering through Congress that we talked about earlier this year. And, you know, the theme that I see in all of this is just a general orientation to trying to drive greater transparency across the health industry. If we put our sector hats on and, and recognize a lot of these bills, they're really aimed at the provider sector, right? And theoretically, these bills are meant to benefit consumers and give them more access and understanding and literacy. But previous price transparency bills, as we know, may not have had the impact as intended. And you mentioned kind of these other bills floating around Congress and having parallel paths that are similar in scope to transparency bills, things like site neutral payments. We talked a little bit about that, and that's kind of lifting the hood on how hospitals charge and are able to charge different dollar amounts depending where they're service is taking place within the hospital walls or outside in an ambulatory setting. And there's hundreds of billions of dollars if you're able to put the site neutral savings into effect over many years, not including spillover effects to the private market once you do it from a CMS perspective. And it's a lot of a lot of bullseye happening on the provider sector and they're not doing well financially. So it is fascinating to see this. And it's another example of uh common bills going through to, to, again, make it a little more transparent is the 2021 hospital price transparency rule, which requires hospitals to list prices on the websites, right? And I mentioned it a little bit earlier in general, but hospitals were very slow to comply with that and had missing payer information. It wasn't consistent. Additional rules and regulations being passed, and it, it's a lot. The intentions are hopefully good, but it's also kind of confusing in an already highly regulated area. So see how this one goes down different or similarly to the other bills we've seen. To Mindy's point, I think it's clear that cost transparency and even specifically PBMs are really in the crosshairs throughout the entire breadth of the government and regulatory bodies. I would say whether we're looking at the packages making their way through Congress or some of the actions by the FTC it's clear that the pendulum has swung pretty far in this direction and has a lot of stickiness in terms of the action being taken against it. And I think that's that's big news. I was looking at some statistics the other day around just who the biggest players are when it comes to the pharmacy space. And most of those big players we're seeing, you know, like CVS Health are vertically integrated organizations where they're playing the role of payer, provider, and PBM all in one. And the extent that one or multiple areas of their business are coming under fire, I'd be curious to see how that impacts their bottom line, their agility in addressing it, and if they're realizing any benefits or costs from that vertically integrated model as a result. Yeah, speaking of a subsector or group that has had to be very agile in these kind of tempestuous financial year is the idea of digital health. And so I think it'd be really uh, important to have our listeners hear a little bit about a digital behavioral startup called Octave, which scored $52 million in Series C funding led by Cigna Ventures, Novo Holdings, and Avidity Partners. We talk a lot about a little bit of a downfall in funding from a digital health perspective. Octave was founded in 2018 by a one medical alum, and they noticed that one third of their primary care patients were dealing with anxiety or depression. And that's unsurprising. 
although they began as an in-person clinic with locations in New York and California, they transitioned to include virtual care and they have more than a thousand therapists, a mix of contractors and employed providers. And Octave's innovative value-based care model, which is interesting, I think that that probably played into some of the funding successes it had, has landed them partnerships with several major national payers. This round of funding, I mentioned over $50 million, should enable Octave to expand their services into all 50 states. And you know, as I mentioned before, digital health companies, they're pulling in less funding as, as an industry. Those sectors such as at-home care, mental health, wellness, and I would add generative artificial intelligence are really kind of the, the, the triumvirate of areas where companies are investing. And although the deal size in the first half of the year has dropped, we're still seeing some tailwinds in those three areas. Even though funding is down, there's still hot spots where there is an appetite to fund. And you think about what has been hot in healthcare over the course of this past year. And this series funding that we saw come through for Octave is representative of a hot area within healthcare. I was really struck by their value-based care model as a differentiator and something that maybe set them apart in this, this round of funding. When I think about behavioral health and mental health, traditionally, it's really been a volume-based business. A lot of times it even operates outside of our you know, typical plan-based reimbursement systems or can be challenging to find reimbursement for some of these areas. And so really seeing the recognition of the impact that mental health, behavioral health has on our overall system when it comes to being able to control healthcare costs overall is really impactful. And I'm excited to see what they're able to do in terms of the value they're able to unlock once they're able to bring their services to all 50 states with this latest round of funding. As always, Mindy and Ryan, we know the only constant in the healthcare industry is change. So I can't wait to hear what we're talking about next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.